Well, hello, friends. If I haven't met you before, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ the King. And uh, before we get started, I want you to look at your neighbor and tell them the topic that we're talking about today. Look at your neighbor, tell them Simon Says. Simon Says. I, I wonder by a show of hands, how many of you have ever watched Netflix for so long that that little title comes up that says, are you still there? So I haven't had this happen to me personally, but Grant said that it happened to him a couple times, but... Uh, anyway, I, I hate that question though. Are you still there? Especially in that context because it really seems like it's asking a, a deeper question on a couple different levels. It's not just saying, are you there physically? It's saying, are you there mentally? Are you there spiritually? It's drawing attention to the fact that you could be anywhere in the world doing anything and you have chosen to spend your life spending another six hours watching Love is Blind. Are you still there? Like, do you have a pulse customer? You know, I wish instead of saying, are you still there, it would just cut through all that noise and just say what it really wants to say. It, I wish it just came up and said, you should really be doing more with your life. <laughs> at least then it wouldn't feel as passive aggressive, you know, like at least just tell me how you really feel Netflix. But anyway, there's this quote um, that gets attributed to Einstein. He says this, he says, a ship is always safe at shore, but that's not what it was built for. A ship is always safe at shore, but that's not what it was built for. And it's true, there's real wisdom here. And yet I did a quick Google search and found a couple pictures that I wanna show you. Could you roll those? And so we'll just look at a couple of these ships that are at shore that don't look particularly like they're in the best scenarios. And we got at least one more. So while I agree with the premise that ships were built for sea based on my limited research, again, I'm no uh, uh, oceanographer or anything, but I would venture to say that ships aren't always safe at shore either. In fact, sometimes the shore is the very thing that sinks the ship. In fact, sometimes it's not the deep water of life that's dangerous, it's actually the shallow water. It's those moments in your life where you get asked, are you still there? And what I'm trying to say is that there's inherent risk in playing it safe, isn't there? There's inherent risk in taking the path of least resistance. It's been said the greatest risk of all is not taking any risks at all. And in life, sometimes the things that feel the safest are actually the things doing us the most harm because they're actually keeping us from what it is that we were being created to do. Friends, the question is, are you still there. And today we're going to look at another fish story because we're in this series about fish, but we've been finding out throughout scripture, even though there's all these fish stories, they're not actually about fish. And this story, I would actually say is about risk. So we're going to be in chapter five of Luke, starting in verse one. If you have a Bible or an app, you can pull that out and follow along. Otherwise it's going to be up on the screens, but it's a famous story. And so, especially for those of you who have been around the church for a while, maybe you've heard this a hundred times. I want to encourage you to listen like it's the first time you've ever heard it. Because the moment we think that we know the story is the moment we stop learning from the story. And there's always more to learn when it comes to Jesus, amen? Amen. amen. So verse one, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. If you don't know who Simon is and you're new to the story, later his name would be Peter. He is this loudmouth fisherman with a propensity for chopping people's ears off. Um, but right now he's still Simon. So Jesus asked Simon here in verse three to put out a little from shore. 
And he, who is Jesus, sat down and taught the people from the boat. Verse 4 says, when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your net. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and I haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell on his knees and said, Jesus, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. Then verse 11, the final verse says, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, left everything, and followed him. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, God, would you capture our hearts again? God, if this is a story we've heard a hundred times, God, would you literally give us the eyes to see it anew? God, there's always more. There's always more that you're inviting us into. God, there's always deeper waters, God, of life and of faith that you're calling us to. So would we be the type of people who lean in to those invitations? God, would we be the type of people who say yes when you say, follow me? Lord, we love you, God. I just pray on behalf of all of us. God, give us a heart, God, just to, to, to truly not just see this as an opportunity to learn, but an opportunity to embody what we learn and leave this place changed. We love you so much, God. We want to look more like you. We want to be a better reflection of you to the world. So God, give us that grace. Give us that boldness. We ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen and amen. So a couple years ago, my wife and I went to the Ellensburg Rodeo with some friends and one day we went to the town of Roslyn. If you don't know where Roslyn is, it's kind of out by Suncadia. It's this town that looks like it was pulled out of a Western movie. It's amazing. We decided to spend our day. We went to a log show. Maybe you guys have seen a log show before. There were all these lumberjacks throwing axes and running with chainsaws and generally making a lot of really bad decisions with sharp tools. All praise be to God, nobody lost any limbs, but eventually we got hungry. We found some um, food at a place called The Brick. At the brick, we hung out for about an hour, and as we were getting to leave, we saw a group of hipsters walk in, and if you've been to Roslyn, you realize hipsters stick out, and so uh, I looked again, and one of them looked familiar. I did a double take, and it just so happened to be Judah Smith. If you don't know who Judah is, he's a pastor who's uh, quite famous, used to live in Seattle, has traveled around the world speaking at conferences, so I was freaking out a little bit, I'll be honest, that's just my experience there. I thought about going over and saying hi, but I figured the reason somebody like Judah is in Roslyn is because he doesn't want people like me to come up to say hi, I didn't want to bother him, I didn't want to be a nuisance, so I just played it cool. So I decided that that's my move, but then my buddy looked up and saw a young gentleman ordering a beverage at the bar, and he started freaking out a bit. My friend was freaking out, so he leaned over to me, and he told me something that I can't repeat to you because this is church, but it had something to do with this. It was along the lines of, Holy Mother of Jesus, God in heaven, praise your name. Is that Justin freaking Bieber? Then he pounded his hands like this in just uh, absolute just excitement. This is that Justin Bieber, and I look over at the bar 10 feet away, and there is the Biebs. <laughs> I'll admit I was speechless. I was a little giddy, and to be honest, I'm not really proud of how any of us responded in that moment. <laughs> None of us were diehard believers, but we definitely turned into a table of 12-year-old girls. We were giggling and whispering and <laughs> trying to act normal. 
after Justin and Judah and the boys got their drinks, they started moving in our direction and there was a moment of decision, my friends. It all happened so fast, I had to decide how was I going to engage. And after considering every option, I decided the best move for me in that moment was to hold up my fist like this so that the Beebs, as he walked by, could take his fist and place it on my fist and move about his business. Friends, I don't want to overstate this. It was amazing. I played it so cool, you would have been proud of me. There was no acknowledgement that I knew who he was. I didn't want to make a big thing out of it, but I knew, and he knew, and he knew that I knew, and there was this moment, it was beautiful, there was this connection, and I'm sure to this day somewhere, he's probably telling the same story. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. That's not the point. Here's my point. The apex of my story, the high point of my relationship with the Beebs was a fist bump. Like, that's as far as we got it. If you're wondering, where's this story going? Like, that's the end of the story. I've got no more story to tell with the beeps. This is my relationship. It's in the container of a fist bump. I didn't want to be a bother, so I stayed at an arm's length away. And I acknowledged, but I never leaned in and got to know. And here's the, the big idea. I wonder, I wonder if this is how some of us engage with God. And that would be such, such a miss on our part because our God is not a celebrity God who wants to be held at a distance. He's actually a God who calls us close. When he comes our way, maybe instead of leaning in, we just stick out a fist like this as if to say, hey, I, I see you, God, but I don't want to bother you with all of this, with all my issues and all my problems. I don't want to be a nuisance. I don't want to waste your time, Jesus. I know that you have important things to do. And it's not even that fist bumps are bad, they're good. I'll, I'll, I'll actually have you right now, if you don't mind, look at your neighbor and just give him a fist bump right now. Let's feel it out. That's not so bad, right? It feels good. It's not bad, it's good, but don't get confused, friends. This is not relationship. Like, this is not community. This is not connection. This is not conversation. This is surface level. This is keeping it at an arm's length. And I need you to know this morning that God isn't looking for fist bump followers. He's looking for more than that. He's not looking for head nods and polite greetings. He's looking for people who are willing to lean in and drop everything so that they can follow him. He's done everything in the world, literally died so that we could have proximity to him. He is not interested in this kind of a relationship, a fist bump relationship. He wants faithful followers who will actually follow him with their lives. And today's story is about Jesus inviting Simon to follow him with everything that he's got, to leave his old life behind and to take a risk. And I want to suggest that maybe there's a risk that Jesus is inviting us to today as well. In this story, we see Jesus perform a miracle. And in Scripture, there's all sorts of reasons Jesus does miracles. I want to just highlight three of them. First is to get people's attention. And getting people's attention in this day and age is a miracle in and of itself. So Jesus is literally just, I, I, I've got to get their attention. I've got to do something different. He also, number two, is showing his power. He's showing, I'm no ordinary man. I am the son of God. I've got some power behind me and in me and that works through me. And three, ultimately, it's a way that Jesus sets the table for people like you and me to take a risk. So miracles aren't actually about the miracle. It's about what happens after the miracle. It's that he actually wants people to take risk as a result of what they see. And what Jesus wants in this story wasn't to be seen as powerful, but to show the fishermen that he's worth following, 
He's a big God. He wants to get their attention and say, I am powerful and I am good. Will you follow me? And so with the rest of our time, I want to look at this miracle story from a couple different angles and see what we learn. First, I want to look at Jesus in the story. Then I want to look at Simon in the story. Then I want to look at what happens after the story. And then look at the invitation of the story as we conclude. So first, I want to talk about Jesus. In its simplest form, Jesus walks up. He commandeers a boat, which I'm pretty sure was illegal. There's nothing about him even asking. There's no lease agreement. He just steps in that bad boy and says, send it out. So he commandeers a boat. He gives a message. He performs a miracle. Then he invites the disciples to follow him. This is the story. This is what Jesus does. This is his point of view. He gets in the boat. First thing he does is start to teach. Verse 3. He got onto one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put it out a little from shore. Then he sat down and he taught and people from the boat. He taught people from the boat. So he shares the good news. He preaches a message, and this is so important. He didn't start with the miracle. He started with the message. Friends, over this series, we've been talking about this idea Grant was really wrestling with, and we've been trying to bring to the surface this idea that we're called to actually be uh, people who take risks with our words. We're called to actually talk about the Jesus that we love. Like Jesus, he doesn't just do a miracle. He actually tells people about the kingdom of God. One of my favorite quotes uh, is a quote from St. Francis of Assisi, and it actually has a tension that exists within it. It says, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary... Use words. Anybody know that quote? Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. I mean, what an amazing idea. Uh, like, what a beautiful picture that your life itself is a message. And yet, friends, here's my issue with that quote. A lot of people use this quote as a reason not to have any meaningful conversations about the love of Christ. A lot of people say, I'm just going to love people and hope that they fill in the blanks. But friends, I want you to know this quote isn't actually about talking about Jesus less. It's about loving people more. It's about your life becoming the embodiment of what you say, not actually advocating like any responsibility that we have to actually have conversations. Friends, our love of people needs to reflect the love of God, but loving people doesn't absolve us of our responsibility to talk to people about the love of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Jesus didn't go around loving people or just loving people. He went around teaching people about the kingdom of God, showing the power of God and inviting people in. So Jesus preaches a message. I love this story because it starts with a sermon, but it doesn't end with a sermon. Far too many Christian stories end with the sermon. Oh, that was amazing. But a really good story starts with a sermon and it ends when the sermon actually turns into something different. And so Jesus tells Simon to put down his net, and when he does, Scripture says, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Guys, get this picture. There is more blessing than their boat can hold. I love Jesus because he tells people about the power of God, but then he shows people about the power of God. Friends, this is the beauty of Jesus. He actually practices what he preaches. He embodies his message. He follows through. He does what he says and says what he does. He doesn't just tell people the good news. He shows people the good news of Jesus. I wonder, church, how are we doing with that? Because okay, we got to take risks with our words, but we actually have to take risks as well with our life. 
And I've got to do a quick experiment to, here to, to see what kind of company that we keep at, at Christ the King. So the first question is, how many of you have ever had somebody who said that they would pray for you, but you're uh, kind of sure that they probably didn't remember? <laughs> Anybody? It's happened at the first service too. Uh, this is just a, a, a me thing, apparently not a we thing. That's all right. That's all right. Second question, how many of you have told somebody else that you'd pray for them and you most definitely forgot to pray for them? Okay, okay. It's a little bit worse than I thought. That's all right. We'll work through this together. So it turns out we're the hypocrites that everybody's talking about. But, but not Jesus. See, friends, here's my question. What if following Jesus really meant following through? What if following Jesus meant that we don't just say we pray, we pray. And we don't just say we show up, we show up. And we don't just say that we care, we care and we follow up and we follow through and we share the love of God, then we show the love of God with our life. Friends, we might not be able to walk on water like Jesus, but we can most certainly show up for people in their moments of need, amen? And wouldn't that be a modern day miracle if Christians were known for simply showing up? If Christians were known for following through, for living consistent lives. It's been said, people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And it starts with showing up and living consistently. Jesus brings a message and he brings a miracle. Then if we look at Simon, Jesus tells Simon, put down his net. And Simon says... Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Because you say so, I'll let down the nets. I want you to notice, he doesn't say we worked all night. He says we worked hard all night. He wanted Jesus to know, I, I just haven't been twiddling my thumbs. I've been doing some serious work, Lord. So ultimately, Simon says yes, but he wants Jesus to know that he's been working hard, he's been grinding, he's been putting in the hours. It's kind of like when somebody says, yeah, I'll do it, but they go out of their way to make sure that you know that what you've asked them to do is inconvenient. It, it, yeah, I'll put down the, the, the nets, but I need you to know that I, I just pulled an all-nighter, so this is really not what I'm interested in. But make no mistake, friends, what Jesus was asking was just that. It was inconvenient. <laughs> so I remember one summer i was fishing up in cordova alaska with my friend jacob on the night shift a little gill nutter and if you don't know anything about fishing here's what you need to know uh, to, to control how many fish get caught they don't tell you how many pounds you can catch they tell you how long you can fish they call them openers and so they'll say you've got a 12-hour opener it starts at 12 and it ends at 12 and during those 12 hours you get to fish as much as you can and get as many fish as possible and what I remember about my summer with Jacob is that we weren't doing 12-hour openers, friends. Listen to this. We were doing 72-hour openers. And what that means if you're a fisherman is that you're fishing for 72 hours straight. You might get a couple naps, but you are fishing through the day and the night and the day and the night and the day and the night. And friends, I'll tell you, it is exhausting. It is a grind. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. You might have in your mind what this moment would have looked like. You might think that he was tired. He wasn't tired. He was exhausted. He had worked hard through the night. What Jesus was asking Simon to do was 
wildly inconvenient. Simon had just finished cleaning the nets. He had just closed up shop and Jesus was asking him to move them into the water again and make them dirty. Simon was tired. He was worn out. He was annoyed. He was probably frustrated because he spent the whole night fishing and he didn't come out with anything on the other side. I can promise you he was more than tired and he was probably frustrated and he had no interest in putting down that net. But he did. But he did it anyway. You got to give credit where credit's due. Even if he does it with an attitude, at least he does it. Friends, I love when Pastor Grant says this. He says, you know, Jesus loves a cheerful giver. That's, that's scripture. But he, he can use a reluctant one too. Because it'd be great if we wanted to do all the things that God asked us to do, but that's not real life, is it, friends? As it turns out, a lot of life is actually doing the next right thing because Jesus told us so, even if we don't feel like it. I don't know about you, but this is what we're trying to teach our, our kids right now is that not feeling like it isn't a very good excuse not to do something. And to be more honest, this is what God's teaching me. It's because I don't feel like it doesn't mean that that's a good reason not to do it. Friends, he says, because you say so, I'll put down the nets. Here's the thing, because God can actually bless your obedience even if you do it with a bad attitude. That's how big God is. He loves a cheerful giver, but you know what? I'll, I'll use what you got. I can bless what you've got. And we see the blessing in here. Simon says, I worked hard all night. He lets Jesus know I worked hard. But then he says, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. I've just been captured by this verse. Because you say so. I'll let down the nets. Friends, you know what Jesus is looking for? He's looking for more followers who are willing to say, because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Because you say so, I'll say yes. Even though I don't feel like it. Even though I don't want to. Even though I'm feeling kind of tired and a little bit hangry and irritated, even though it's inconvenient, even though to me it makes no sense what you're asking me to do, Jesus, because you say so, I'll do it. Friends, I can't speak for you, but I want to be the type of person who, who, who says, because you say so, I'll do it. I don't need all the answers before I give you my yes, Jesus. I want to be the type of person who has such high trust and such high uh, value and such a high picture of who Jesus is and such trust in what he's done in my life that I don't need to know the details. I just need to let Jesus know I've got a yes for you. I might not have much, but I'm available to you. I might be tired and have worked through the night, but I am going to say yes. Why? Because you say so. And because of Simon's obedience, he gets to see the abundance of God. They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. They had to call their buddies over, and even their boats didn't have enough capacity. They started to sink. But what I want you to notice is this. The abundance of fish in this story doesn't make Simon want to keep chasing fish. It actually makes him want to start chasing Jesus. The blessing doesn't capture Simon's heart, Jesus captures Simon's heart. This is, again, getting back to the miracle. The miracle isn't about the fish. The miracle's about Jesus and him showing himself to be worthy to be followed. Verse 11 says, this is kind of the outcome. It says, they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. It says they left everything and followed him. And let's move through this. Here's what that means. It means he left his boat, he left his net, 
He left his fish, which by the way was his paycheck. He left his fleet, which by the way was his friends. He left his home, which by the way was his comfort and his convenience and the rhythms that he was accustomed to. Whatever he saw, he said he saw enough to say, I am all in Jesus. Wherever you go, I'll go. I'm going to leave everything behind. You know, one thing that I noticed in this text this week is that left is a verb. Leaving is something that you do. It's not something you wait for. It's not something that just happens. It's something that you do. And I think there's some people in this room who have been stuck in your faith for such a long time and you've been so confused by it. And it's actually because you haven't done the hard work of leaving behind what needs to be left. I think some of us in this room need to actually break up with some old ways of thinking that aren't serving you anymore. And if you're bad at breakups... That's okay, I'm here to help. I put together a list of breakup lines that you can use. You can say, it's not you, it's me. You can say, I just need some space. We've grown apart. I think we should see other people. I need to focus on myself right now. I just don't love you anymore. I need a fresh start. I deserve something better. I need to find myself. And here's what I know. You're not helping me get where I want to go. Some of us need to have some DTRs, which means determine the relationship with talks, with our old habits and our old mindsets and our old grudges and our old relationships and our old ways of thinking that aren't serving you anymore. Because here's what I know, to fully follow Jesus, we have to fully leave. And left is a verb, which means it's not just going to happen, it's something we have to do. We have to turn from so that we can walk towards. Friends, what's the leaving Jesus is inviting you to do today? After the story, immediately after, Jesus calls his disciples. He meets a man covered in leprosy. This is the very next verse, friends. And when the leper sees Jesus, he moves towards him and falls face down at his feet. It says in Luke 5, verse 12, Lord, if you're willing, says this leper, you can make me clean. I want you to know he's not asking, can you? He's saying, I know you can, but will you? There's a difference between asking, can you, and asking, will you? And so oftentimes in life, it's not God's power that we question. It's God's willingness to use his power for people like us, for messy people. I don't know about you. Maybe you're like me, and you just know too much about yourself and your sin and your doubts and your brokenness and your insecurities, and you know that Jesus has the capacity to heal. But what you struggle with is really believing yourself to be worthy of healing. What you struggle with is, is, is I just feel like I'm an inconvenience to God. I don't want to lean into this promise because I don't want to inconvenience him. I don't want to bother him. I don't want to be a nuisance. I don't want to get in your way, God, of what you're doing. The leper said, Lord, if you're willing, I know you can make me clean. And in verse 13, I want to suggest this is some of the best news I've ever heard. Without hesitating, Jesus reaches out his hand and touches the man and says, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy leaves him. Friends, I'm here today to tell you that the good news isn't merely that God is able, it's that he's willing to move towards people like you. He's been asked, are you willing? And his answer is yes. 
I am willing. He says, I don't care what you've said. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what labels you've been labeled. I don't care what excuses you are holding on to today. I am willing to heal you. I am willing to redeem your story. I am willing to make a way for you into the wilderness, my son or my daughter, because you are more loved than you could ever possibly imagine. Three of the best words in all of scripture is I am willing. God, I know you're good. I've seen the sunset over Bellingham Bay, but what I want to know is, are you willing to bring all of your goodness in my direction and help? And he says, I am. And the question we really get to wrestle with today is, what are you going to do about that love that's been extended to you? What are you going to do about this Jesus who's not only able, he's actually willing and wants to move in your direction? Jesus says, I'm willing, but here's what I want you to know. He's curious, are you? Jesus wants to know, are you willing? Because I know you're able, I know who you are, but are you willing to partner with me? Are you willing to love people? And not just the people you like, but the people that you can't stand, the people who have nothing to give you, are you willing to love them? He says, are you willing to be generous? Are you willing to make a financial decision, not just because it's good for your pocketbook, but because it's good for your soul, and maybe it's good for somebody else? Are you willing to give a gift that makes you fill a pit in your stomach, that gives you a pause, that extends you beyond what you're actually comfortable with? Are you willing to actually sow into the soil of your church so that we can meet needs in this community? Are you willing to serve people, help people move, join response teams, sit with somebody who's grieving, not trying to fix them, just giving them your presence? Hey, hey, I'm here. I might not know what to say, but I'm here. Let me tell you something, friends. That's all people want. They want somebody to show up, not somebody to give some platitudes and some simple answers to their complicated questions. Friends, are you willing to do the hard work of leaving behind what needs to be left so that you can follow who you're called to follow? Friends, are you willing to follow through? Because really, that's what it means to follow Jesus. Not because we feel like it. Not because we've got a lot of energy today, but because he says so. Friends, Jesus isn't looking for a fist bump relationship with you. He's not looking for a polite nod. He's looking for a full embrace. He wants more. The question is, are you still there? Are you still on the shore? Are you willing to go where he's calling you to go? Not because Jesus wants less for your life, but because he wants more. And in a moment, I'm gonna pray, and then I wanna actually invite you into a moment of reflection. When you came in, you should have received a note like this. If not, there's some tables in the back, and you can grab one. And on this note, there's two questions. There's a couple fill in the blanks. The first fill in the blank is this. The first question I want you to actually reflect on and ask God and actually wrestle with is what risk is God inviting you to take? It could be a personal relationship risk. It could be a spiritual risk. It could be a financial risk. It could be um, any form of risk that God's inviting you to take. And the second question that we don't ask as much, but it's just as important as am I willing? Am I willing? Because it doesn't matter what God puts on your heart if you're not willing to do it. If you're not willing to say, because you say so, Lord. I worked hard through the night, but because you say so, 
I'm not feeling like it right now, but because you say so. I don't feel like I have everything that I need, but because you say so, I will be faithful. I will say yes, because I do not want to miss out on what you have for me. I do not want to be tied to shore. I want to actually set sail to the sea. Amen? Amen. So let me pray, and then uh, if you can take some time. If you don't have one of these, you can write down those questions on your phone as well. And if you're at home, do the same. And you can really wrestle with what's God inviting me to risk. And am I willing? Because let me tell you something, friends. God is willing to move towards you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you've given us so much more than we deserve. God, I so relate with the leper. God, I know you can, but will you? Because I know that looking in the mirror can be difficult to see your grace, but it's easy to see the brokenness. It's easy to see the excuses. It's easy, easy to see the why nots. So Jesus, collectively right now in this room, would you stir up courage? Would you stir up a fresh wind of boldness so that we can actually move in the direction that you call? God, will you stir up hope? Will you stir up what it is that you're calling us to do? But God, more than anything else, would we actually have a stirred and renewed trust in your word, God, that compels us towards what it is that you're calling us into? God, would we have such a high view of you that the risks that you're inviting us to take start to feel small when we look at how good you are, how faithful you've been? God, we ask for a fresh wind of your grace. God, meet us in this moment. God, help us wrestle to the ground the risk that you're inviting us to take. And my prayer is that you would give us the boldness to say, I am willing. Because that's what you did for us. Lord, we love you. Send us, use us, transform us. This is all for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So take the next couple minutes, the man's just gonna play lightly, wrestle with those questions. What's God calling you to risk and am I willing? Then we're gonna respond in song together.